Okay? Now the grain. The grain is the second most important. Every burnt offering was required to be followed by a grain offering. Every burnt offering was required to be followed by a grain offering. This is detailed out in chapter 2. So chapter 2 is a grain offering. Basically what would happen is you would take raw flour or baked loaves. So you could take the flour that you just got done grinding up and bring it as a powder, or you could bake it into a loaf of bread, and you would bring those two things. You were not allowed to have yeast or leaven or honey in the bread. We do not know exactly why yeast and honey are so bad and so wrong for sacrifices. But the best guesses we have is that yeast because it permeates everything, would be symbolic of corruption. And honey might be connected to the sweetness of sin or something like that. These are guesses. Most scholars agree that this might be it, but at the same time they also agree we don't really know. So there's a very intelligent, not everybody going everywhere with their imagination um, guess on that, but at the same time we don't have anything hardcore in the Bible. And so that kind of brings me to a point, this is a side note that I forgot to mention. You need to understand that these sacrifices were not given every little detail and every little meaning. We're only given the way that God wants you to do it and why he's doing it. Because here's the reality, these people grew up in a sacrificial culture. Everybody did sacrifices in the ancient world. And so it's like if I tell you a story about me getting on an airplane and going over to Israel. If I was like, okay, so we got on this airplane. Now, an airplane is this, this big metal container um, that kind of has like a tube and there's seats in it and, and it has wings and it's got jets and, and all what it will fly. A flight attendant is somebody who comes in and serves you and that kind of stuff. And you'd be like, okay, you're totally insulting our intelligence. We already know all this stuff. And then it would take me forever to actually tell the story if I explained to you. So I tell you the story, and I tell you, we got on an airplane, we went over to Israel. And the only time I ever spending on the airplanes is like, oh, the stewards spill milk on me or whatever, and it would upset me, da, 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 da. Because I don't need to explain an airplane to you because you already know airplanes. To explain is insult your intelligence and waste your time. You have to understand that's how Leviticus is working. Leviticus is adding to a system that's already in place all throughout the ancient world. And they don't need to be explained all the details and all the reasons for. They just need to understand what God is doing differently. Or for God to emphasize and say, everybody else is doing that too, but I'm coming here to say, amen, and this is really important. Or I'm going to do it differently. Or I'm going to give you a different meaning for why you're doing it. And you don't have to explain all that stuff because that's part of the culture. That's their DNA. And eventually when sacrificial systems disappear and go away, they don't keep passing that on because nobody's doing sacrifices anymore. And so that gets lost. And then we find this and we don't have all that cultural stuff. So you have to realize that there are some things missing by the fact that you and I are not part of that culture. And there are a lot of things that God didn't record because the culture already knew it. And same thing with yeast. They probably would have all understood that. And God wasn't changing the meaning, so there was no point in mentioning it. And so they knew. And so from what we know from people who still do sacrifices today in some cultures, this is a pretty good guess that yeast represents corruption. But that's not necessarily a guarantee. Does that make sense?
And so you have to understand that this is not complete. So the grain offering is then you take this flour and you would give it to the priest as a memorial. And then incense and salt would be mixed in with it. Now, incense is part of the pleasing aroma. When you're burning bread, it doesn't smell good. So you bring the incense in to kind of become the fat replacement. And so it becomes a pleasing aroma. The second thing is that you offer salt. Now, it doesn't specifically tell us why salt, but every single time salt is mentioned throughout the First Testament, it's mentioned in connection to the covenant. They would often bring salt and throw it out as they were making a covenant. And so the idea is that salt is what gives things flavor. Salt is what preserves things. And it has less to do with your evangelism and your testimony. That's more of a Second Testament idea. When Christ says you're the salt of the world, we think, oh, you're supposed to be preserving people and you're supposed to be pleasing to people. And that's what makes them want to know about Christ. That's not how it worked in the First Testament. In the First Testament, salt seems to be more of a reminder of the covenant and that the covenant is internal, and the covenant brings blessings, and the covenant brings life, and the covenant brings sweetness or a good flavor, so to speak. And so it has more of the idea as you're mixing the incense and the salt in with the flour, it has more of the idea that the bread is also pleasing aroma to God, and then it's to remind you that this is the covenant. Remember when Christ took the bread and said, this is my body broken for you as a reminder of the covenant. It's all about the covenant. And so the bread, you would then bring the bread and you would wave it before God. Probably more like this than like a football stadium wave. Okay, so you would wave it to God, offering up to him away from your body and towards heaven as a symbolic way of saying this belongs to God. You would then take the bread and you would give a portion to the priest and you would burn the rest in the altar. Now, you weren't actually allowed to take it to the altar because only the priest could touch the altar. Only the priest could maintain the fire. Only the priest could take things and place it on the fire. And so this is what, so two things is you don't get anything from this. It's a complete loss to you as well. However, the priests actually get to keep a portion of the bread to eat. Because remember, the priests don't have animals. They don't have land. This is their full-time job. This is the way that you pay them. So the only people who are allowed to eat this priest are the priests, their spouses, and their children. Okay, so this is the way, this is like our pastors. Our pastors don't, some do, but most of our pastors don't work another job outside the church, so our donations help pay their salary as a way of saying thank you for sacrificing your life to serve and minister to my family on a spiritual level. And so that's what you would do. So part of the bread would go to the priest, part of it would be burnt on the altar. And it would be completely consumed in this sense. There are different ways that you can make the cake. Um, but basically, it's the bread and flour or totally as a loaf of bread. Now, what is the key characteristic and the significance of the grain offering? This is the works of the worshiper. See, even though the animal costs you something, because you had to pay for that animal or it costs you something to help that animal come into the world through birthing process, and you're losing a financial income from that animal, the reality is that that animal pretty much keeps itself alive. 
We don't really have to do anything to keep animals out in the wild alive. And other than like, and the only reason you have to like go out and buy food and pour the food in a bowl for your cat or dog to eat it is because you've domesticated it and you refuse to allow it to go outside your backyard, your house. But if you didn't pour food out for it and you opened the gate of your house, your pet dog and cat would have no problem finding food. Okay, right? I mean, especially if you have no mouse problem in your house because you've got a cat. Okay? So the reality is you don't really have to do anything to keep your animal alive. The only work that you have to put in to keep your animal alive is because you put a fence and a door around it. You remove that, even a domesticated animal will survive on its own without you. So there's really no work involved. And even as a shepherd, there's some work involved in here and there and there. But most of the time, you're just sitting in the field watching a bunch of sheep act stupidly. And you've got to find other things to be entertained. And oh, how David probably wished he had an iPhone. Okay, so <laughs> the reality is, actually, he was probably a better person for it because he actually thought. Um, but the grain, that's work. Yes, in some sense, God is doing a lot of it because it doesn't matter how hard you work. If the rain doesn't come, you're going to have no grain. But we all know, if you've ever been around farmers or grown up on a farm, it is hard work to till the ground, to plant the seed, to all that, all that kind of stuff. So there's work to harvest it, to grind the flour. So this becomes your works offering. And so this does two things. First, it's you now presenting your back-breaking labor and work to God and saying, I'm giving a part of my life, my work, my sweat, my blood to God now. Not just I'm going to lose something financially, but I'm actually giving my physical back-breaking work to God. And so I offer that up. The other thing is, is I'm acknowledging that the only reason I have this grain is because God gave me this land and provided the rain. And I know that even though I did a lot of work to get this grain, I also know that the only reason I have this land is because God brought me this land and he miraculously conquered the Canaanites and gave me this land through the promises of Deuteronomy. And if no matter how much I break my back, if that rain doesn't come, I have no grain. And only God can bring the rain. So it becomes a thank you offering to God for giving me this land and giving me this grain. And then the third is it becomes a trust offering. It's my way of saying I desperately need this grain to stay alive and to feed my family. And I'm giving the first of it. I don't even get to eat the first thing that I plucked and ground down. I'm giving it to you, God, and I'm watching it burn in the fire. This is like you taking your first paycheck every year and just burning in the fire, something like that, or the first tenth of whatever, that would be heartbreaking. And so three things that this would do, this is your way of saying I'm offering up my works, my backbreaking life to you and saying that I'm giving this to you. Two, it's my way of saying I acknowledge, thank you, God, for the fact that the only reason I have this is because of you. And three, it's my way of saying, I trust you that I can burn this and I can lose it and there will still be enough that you'll provide for me that I will be able to survive and feed my family. And so this is the grain offering. Now notice that the grain offering can only come after the burnt offering. It is not until your sins are atoned for through the burnt offering that you're allowed to offer your works up. 
if you, you cannot offer your works before your sin is atoned. And so this kind of goes to our point. is how is this fulfilled through Christ? Well, now that Christ has become my burnt offering, now I can present my works offering. Now I'm not presenting my works in order to gain salvation or forgiveness. Now I'm presenting my works as a way of saying, I want to give my life to you, God, because you paid for my sins. Thank you, God, that I even have a life of peace, joy, and hope and eternal life because of you. And I'm going to tithe in a trust that I really cannot survive if I give this up. But I believe that I can because you'll take care of me. And this is why you must realize that the key to tithing is not just 10%. That's a starting place. But the key to tithing is sacrifice without sacrifice is not sacrifice. You pray to God and you ask God, what number should I tithe that will hurt me? That if I don't have that number in my checking account, I don't know if I'll be able to pay my bills. How extreme should that number be, God? And the Holy Spirit will give you a number. And he may not give it like, bam, like that, because that's not how God works, but eventually he will. And you tithe that. And it will hurt. And God will show up and take care of you. And then you're even more thankful when you tithe again. And so that I used to worry about money. I don't make a lot of money. And I don't mean that to be like, woe is me, feel sorry for me. But that's just a fact. And I used to worry a lot. But God is taking care of us so many ways. Sometimes I do that. I don't know statistically and mathematically how I pay the bills most of the time. I look at the money coming in, and, 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 and the only debt my wife and I have is mortgage. And, and we're, we're not like this credit card racket up kind of, but we're trying to be very frugal because we have to, and yet we still can't meet the bills, and yet somehow we do. And, I, and I'm not a mathematician, so I don't really like love sitting down trying to figure it out, but at the same time, it's amazing how God takes care of us. And so I've gotten to the point now where I don't worry about money anymore, and I don't worry whether I'm going to make it. Now, don't get me wrong, I don't enjoy it. <laughs> I don't enjoy looking in, but I don't worry anymore, and I don't wonder anymore. And I got, look, I got my, I'm weak in my faith in lots of areas of my life. I'm not like patting myself on the back. I'm weak in my faith in lots of areas. But this is one thing that God has grown me in. And so I'm speaking from personal experience that if you sacrificially offer up something, God will take care of you. God will, and that's what your work's offering. And it, and it can be, and look, this all comes in different ways. Because God told you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. So this is your time involved in ministry. Okay, sometimes time hurts more than money. Right? Like, I got a to-do list. I got three little girls, and I got, and then I got to take time out of my life to go invest in a charity or somebody's life, or, oh my gosh, I really have to have this done by tomorrow night. And the student comes in my classroom, and their life has fallen apart, and they just, they take hours of my day away from me and order because they need help. And so this can be the tithe that you pay to your church. This can be the tithe that you give off to other ministries. I don't believe that all your tithe has to go to your local church. I do believe that the Bible makes it very clear that you have to support your local church because your local church is investing in you. You should say, I love you by giving them back to them. But I also believe that part of your tithe can be 
international justice or world relief or world vision or all those other things or or just somebody that you know that is in need and you're giving to them and it also is an emotional it's a time thing it's all that kind of stuff and yet my first reaction sometimes is oh my gosh i don't have time for this i got all this stuff to do but when i make the choice to sacrifice my time and invest in that kid's life and talk to them it is so rewarding and somehow I still accomplish what I need to accomplish, or I don't accomplish it, but I realize in the end it really wasn't that important. And I didn't really have to do it, or really didn't have to do it, or somehow miraculously a deadline gets extended for me out of me not begging either. Okay, And so this is what God is calling us to. And so how is this fulfilled? This is fulfilled through Christ that now you actually can present a works offering that does not lead to your salvation, but leads to your total, I want to give my life to you, God, because you gave mine. I am thanking you for what I have, and I'm going to do something that shows that I trust that you'll take care of me if I invest in the kingdom of God. Why? Because I love you. Because I love you. And so we are now called to give the grain offering in different ways. And no, we don't go out and farm, but we do earn paychecks. And we do have time. And so this is what... So are you under the sacrificial system anymore? Do you have to do this in order to be right with God on a salvation level? No. Do you have to do this to escape death? No. But are you still under the heart of the law of this is what it means to love God? Yes. Do we execute the grain offering in the same way the law told us to? No. But do we look at what the spirit of the law is? Yes. And if the law is now written on your heart, then the spirit of the law is, what am I offering up to God as a thank you, as a my life for his kingdom, and as a trust to him? And I don't know what that looks like in your life. All I can tell you is the law says that this is the spirit. You need to sacrificially give in such a way that demonstrates those three principles. You do not execute it in this way anymore because you're not under the law. But the law is written on your heart and it must be translated through Jesus and the Holy Spirit. So you need to go with your family and sit down and ask, Holy Spirit, what does my sacrificial look like, giving look like to accomplish these three points? Does that make sense? And that's how we're no longer under the law but we are called to fulfill the law through Christ. How do I say I love you to God through sacrificial giving? And so there's your homework. If you haven't already done it yet, go home and pray and talk together as a family and say, what does this look like for us? Not under the law, but as Christ in me, I am now able to fulfill the spirit and the heart and the love of the law to God. What does that look like in my family in 2017 in America? Does that make sense? And that's what we're supposed to do with all these things. So, grain offering must not be offered before the burnt, but is required to be followed after every burnt offering every single time you offer it. And is a way of doing this and then taking care of the priest. Which I would say then the fourth kind of point here would be how do I take care of the people who minister in my life? How do I, as I minister in other people's lives, 
and God is doing amazing things to take care of me for giving up my time, how do I then become a blessing to people who give up their time? And the more that they sacrifice their time, like an actual full-time pastor or minister, how do I come into their life and bless them? What grain can I give them to help their family survive because they're making a huge financial sacrifice to invest in the life of me and my church? And so is that gift cards to places, thank you notes, whatever. Because you, financially, a lot of our pastors are kind of doing pretty well. The church has done a good job of creating a system to protect them. But what they really are starving in is a lot of times being appreciated. Um, the thank yous come as a, I'm not a minister, but I'm a teacher. And you tend to get a lot more complaints than you do get thank yous. Um, and in deep down in the back of my mind, I know there's a lot more thank yous than there are complaints because the complaints tend to only be two or three people out of the 120-something students that I have. But they tend to speak the most and be in my life the most. And I tend to get the most emails from them. And so as I logically know that they're the minority, but emotionally it feels like they're the majority and it makes me want to quit. And so, and I know pastors feel the same. And that's one thing I've tried very hard is to be a thank you to our pastors because I know what it's like to get the dirty laundry most of the time. And so what does it look like to offer grain to our pastors, our ministers, to um, people who run charities, to people who sacrifice their time to minister to you, lay people in the church who have jobs and they gave up their time because you were in a time of need and they ministered to you. How do you say thank you to them? And that's what the way we need to think because the, the, the regulations are gone but the heart of God is still there. And that's what you must remember all throughout this. That is going to be my major point of what does the law look like today. The regulations are gone, but the heart is still there, the heart of Yahweh. And that's what we must ask ourselves.